Good morning, and welcome to the Wisdom Seekers Sunday School class. My name is Tammy Stewart, and I am the teacher for this Sunday. Reflecting back on our Sunday School class many years ago, we didn't have a name. It was the adult Sunday School class. And we decided that we needed a name. And we voted, and it was unanimous that we be called the Wisdom Seekers class. What's interesting about that is it was upstairs in the chambers, and we moved downstairs to Peace Chapel. But at that same time, uh, the Lord had really transformed the church. And we were no longer considered the general church anymore. We were really uh, uh, being uh, drawn into the Lord and when we would worship, it was just very uh, intense, very passionate. And then in intercession, uh, we were very dedicated uh, to praying and sometimes for hours on end. And a uh, powerful time. And what happened was, I, I think about that a lot, but it was also happening in Sunday school. And I remember us taking a survey and saying to the class, would you be willing to teach maybe once a quarter? Now, we were talking to people at that time that loved the Lord, had their jobs, came to Sunday school, went to church, but they didn't necessarily know a whole lot about the Bible. And they said, uh, yes, we're willing, because uh, we want to know more about the God of the Word. We, we want to come, become more familiar with the Bible. And uh, I, thinking back, I think at that time, probably 75% of the people in that class wanted to teach. So we were amazed. But you know, I think it was just the perfect timing of God because we were transitioning and we were also doing that in Sunday school. And so I have been for the last few weeks observing different people in that class up here at the podium teaching from God's word. And I, I've said to the Lord many times, Father, I just, I just thank you that uh, we have had this opportunity with our pastor's blessing to do this in our church. And uh, it's blessed the, the church as a whole, but I know it's really helped the pastor because uh, we have seminars, we have ministry trips, and now he is able to tap different individuals that he could use in these ministries. And as a class as a whole, um, I feel like we are more unified now and bound together because we all have that common purpose. We all really want to know, passionately know, what God's ways are. And one way to discover that is through an in-depth study of the, of the God of the Word, to get into your Bible and really dig in. And so I just uh, want to say very quickly that I just am so appreciative of these people that in the early days stepped out in faith to do this. I also want to say that today, Sunday, is Mother's Day. And I want to say to everyone in our church and in the network, to all the moms, to all the grandmothers and all the great-grandmothers, Happy Mother's Day. Uh, when I think about our church, uh, the person that comes to mind uh, immediately is Amy Madden, Debbie Crawford's mother. She is such a precious lady, and uh, she is a walking miracle because God has blessed her with longevity. She's now 95 years old, and she, when the doors are open, she's here. She's very faithful to the church and, and to this ministry. And I just want to say to her, Happy Mother's Day today. I'd also like to tell my mother Happy Mother's Day. She uh, is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, thinking about my mother, um, there's so many wonderful things, but let me just reference one thing. Uh, when I was a small child, I remember my mother gathering all of us together, myself and my brothers at the time. My sister didn't come to much later, but she would always pray for us every day. Pray before we went to school, uh, pray for protection over us, pray over our house, 
uh, pray over our extended family. And not only did she pray for us, she would pray with us. She would ask us to pray. And that was as a very young child. And uh, I, I didn't realize what a privilege that was, what an asset that was, because I thought everybody did it. And so, you know, all through the years, uh, it had never been an issue for me to pray at home because it was a very natural part of just growing up in a Christian home. And it was uh, truly a blessing and a legacy that my mom has left me, and I'm very thankful for that. The other thing I want to mention real quick, since it's Mother's Day, is uh, this Sunday is a very special Sunday for our pastor and his wife, Debbie. They came 40 years ago, so this is their 40th anniversary, to this church. And I can't tell you how thankful I am that God brought us here to that church so that we could be part of this great move of God in the end times. But I want to say to my pastor uh, that we have so appreciated um, everything he has done. He stepped into a pastoral ministry, but in the process of doing that, he has expanded apostolically. He has extended uh, um, prophetically. He has extended evangelistically. Uh, when it comes to teaching, it's very revelatory. Uh, his goal is to really reach into the word and to bring us the true and the pure word of God. And I'm very thankful for that. And he has set us on that path that's going to take us into eternity because the responsibilities that we're learning now will be carried forward into the places that God has purposed for us to rule and reign in in eternity. So, Pastor, thank you very much for your diligence, uh, for the many times you have sacrificed for our church, and also uh, the amazing thing is that you brought to life the Saints Network. What a mighty thing that is, and it circles the globe and it's growing by the day. And so I, I thank you for your efforts to get that off the ground. I know you had people behind you praying and supporting you, but what a mighty uh, responsibility that was. And I know that it's going to get bigger as time goes on. So blessings, Pastor. Thank you for coming to this church. It has changed us. My lesson is entitled for whither thou goest, I will go. And this is uh, a phrase that I captured out of a scripture that is found in Ruth uh, chapter 1, verse 16. And it goes on to say, And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. And, you know, these were the words that were spoken by Ruth. And she was telling Naomi that she was going to stick with her because Naomi had made the decision to return to her homeland because she had no family left. And so these were very powerful words that were spoken from Ruth uh, to Naomi. And uh, I want to insert something here. Um, sometimes, <clears throat> for me, when I um, am going into a season of intercession, uh, I feel like I'm walking down a dark corridor and I approach like a door and the door opens and sometimes what happens to me is a scripture just kind of floods over me, just kind of washes over me. And uh, this particular uh, scripture here from Ruth, especially the title, For Whither Thou Goest I Will Go, uh, has in times past really rung out in my ears. And I just wanted to share that because we know that the word speaks freshly to us every single day. And I remember back that time when I was going into intercession and the Lord gave me that scripture. And, and it was powerful because I remember that I just kept declaring it and it was like I walked into this vast openness, which would be 
you know, the spirit realm, of course. And I knew that I, I wanted to say to God, Father, wherever you go, I go. Wherever you send me, I'll go. And at that time, I remember thinking, uh, if you want me to go, uh, pray for the nations. If you want me to go uh, to a specific country, if you want me to pray for an individual that's in need right now, Lord, I'm open, I'm ready, and I'm following you. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge me, wherever you put me, I will go and I will intercede and I will stand in the gap. And I just wanted to share that because that's the word. It's eternal and it's living and it, it transforms you every day. Um, getting back to my story, uh, Ruth is uh, not a very long book. It's only about four chapters. But this particular story happened in the day of the judges. And it was early in the reign of the judges because um, Boaz, who married Ruth, was the son of Rahab, who received the spies in Joshua's time. And it's probable that it was during the days of Gideon. We're not sure. But in Judges 6, uh, and this is from the Word of God, this is from the Bible, it says that uh, there was a famine that was the result of a Midianite invasion. And the Bible describes them as coming as grasshoppers with their animals to destroy the land. So that's why uh, a lot of the theologians think that that might have been the time period when this story occurred. We're not sure. Uh, but when we think about Canaan, and even to this day, I think of it this way, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And that, that always resonates in my head. But at this time period, it was not a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a land that was barren, that was not fruitful. And so I know that um, it's mentioned several times in the Old Testament that uh, one of the judgments of God was to threaten to bring the people of Israel uh, to a barren land lacking in bread. And um, I often reflect on that too because we know from the Old Testament that there was warning after warning after warning delivered through his prophets and through his judges, you know, reminding the people, you know, that they're straying from God. Um, looking at my handout, um, what I did was I was a, trying to identify, uh, I, didn't, I wasn't conscious of a number, but it turned out it was seven. I identified seven life-changing events in Ruth's timeline. And this is what I want to discuss today with you, is these particular events that occurred in Ruth's life. And we're going to start with number one, and that one is a family in want. And this is uh, taken from Ruth. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chalon, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Now, <clears throat> think about this. Here's one family that's distressed by the famine, and this is Elimelech's family. Now, Elimelech means, my God, a king. His wife, who was Naomi, signifies my pleasant one. And then he had the two sons, Malon and Chalon, which means sickness and consumption. Well, you know, we know that consumption is tuberculosis. And I think that uh, perhaps 
uh, you know, we know they passed away early. Perhaps as children, they were very weak and feeble. Now, that's just an educated guess. I'm not sure. But it, it was interesting when I looked at the defi definition of their names that that's what they meant. Um, think about Elimelech for a minute. Um, his care uh, for his family was to take his wife and his sons, obviously, who were probably feeble, kind of sickly, and he took them with him. And, and I, I find that very commendable. But I had questions. And I thought, why did Elimelech journey with his family to Moab? Why? Now, it's probable that he could have found plenty of food or sustenance in some of the other tribes that were on the other side of the Jordan. He didn't consider that, I guess, or he didn't want to. I'm not sure. We know that uh, the seed of Israel was already securely established in Canaan, so you know there really wasn't a reason to leave and move to a heathen territory. So, more questions. What reason did he have to leave when all of his neighbors stayed. He was the only family that relocated. And the other question I had was, what kind of an example was he showing to the others, his brethren? Now, there could be evidence that he was rather discontented or maybe distrustful and just weary of the place that God had set him. You know, if he had a real zeal for God and his Jewish brethren, I don't think that he would have been so easily persuaded to just get up and sojourn and live with the Moabites. Now, while we're in this section one, which I entitled Family in Want, I want to take a pause a minute. I want you to think about yourself. Are you in want right now as a result of this global pandemic that really has taken the lives of many people around the world? People have lost their job. They've lost income. There's even the fear of losing your spouse or possibly your parents. So how are you coping with this? What has been communicated to your Father in heaven about these fears? What have you said? Now, I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to keep moving on to this next section but we're going to pick this thought up again. So looking back at your handout, number two is a family in sorrow. And the scripture there is Ruth chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons, and they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, which means main, and the name of the other, Ruth, which means friend. And they dwelled there about 10 years. And Malon and Chalon died, also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Now, in my study for this teaching, it stated that because the sons married strange wives, they had transgressed the law, and their days were shortened. Possibly. We also know that they were also very sickly as children. That's another possibility. 
you know, Naomi had placed a lot of confidence in her sons once her husband had passed on to carry on the family name. And now she's lost them. So she is utterly dejected and almost beyond being consoled because she has no one. Now let's reflect back on ourselves. Many people are sad and depressed because they have lost a relative or a friend because of the coronavirus. You know, our spring weather has brought the tornado season. And many people that are in the Midwest states have not only come in contact with the coronavirus, but they've lost homes, cars, businesses, to tornadoes. And you know what? They're saying they're just thankful they're alive. What a predicament to be in. You may feel like you're in a really bad situation, but you haven't lost everything else to a tornado. Have you been praying for others during these trying times? You know, that's very important to pray for one another. I hope so. And hopefully helping in any way you can through phone calls, money, and of course your prayers. But let's just keep looking at scriptures. Let's look at number three. I entitled this one, The Testing. Ruth, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. When she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. So, very sad moment. But let's keep going. Ruth chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth meaning much bitterness, me, much for your sakes, that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Ooh, what a statement. But the land of Moab had become a melancholy place for Naomi. She feels like there's no hope staying here, and she wants to go back to Canaan. And that statement about the hand of the Lord being withdrawn from her. God never withdraws. We withdraw. But that's how she felt. She felt like God's protection had been lifted, and she is in bitterness of soul. She's in great despair and feeling all alone in her misery. What a picture. Makes me sad just thinking about it. Let's keep going. Ruth, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die. There will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Wow. Ruth truly had great affection for Naomi, and it's so strong that she insists on sharing her lot. It's a very sad lot. 
and supporting her as a widow and to give her love and companionship. We're probably talking about someone who is in their 20s. I don't know that, and I would say Naomi maybe was in her 50s, possibly. So she's going to leave her native land, and she's going to travel with Naomi to a foreign land and live among strangers. She is determined that she's going to do this, and she's going to endure whatever the hazards are with no complaint. She is visualizing her mother-in-law, a widow, childless, very alone, and certainly bereft of joy. But she's going to share in her loneliness, and she's going to try to bring into her life comfort and loyal support. Ruth was an absolutely amazing person, very wonderful, very caring. I think that... Uh, as I think about her, uh, I try to be like that, but uh, sometimes I think, I don't know, what would I do in that situation? You know, I think that Naomi, even though she's very bitter, before all of this happened, before she lost her family, she had to have had a profound effect on Ruth. Her godly influence on this young woman every day, steadily, creating a deep, lasting impression of her about a, having a respect and a love for the God of Naomi, which was the God of Israel. When Ruth determined that she would not leave Naomi, it says that she declared that she would accept Naomi's God. So, you know, jumping ahead in the story, we know they went back to Canaan. But Ruth entered the land belonging to the God of Israel, belonging to Jehovah, because she tells her mother-in-law right here, that she's never going to leave her, she's never going to forsake her, and she is going to embrace her God. Because she knew from the things that Naomi had said and the way she uh, walked her life and the way she did things was showing that she loved her God and she believed that he was there in heaven reigning over all of them. But the sad part about it is, it was very profound for Ruth. I'm sure it had to shake her when she could see such despair and feeling like God had left her. I think, I'm not Naomi, but I think that Naomi probably recognized that. That yes, she was sad, and she didn't know what the hope would be for the future. But look, she has this daughter-in-law that loves her greatly and is going to go with her and follow through with whatever sacrifices they have to endure. That's a powerful statement about Naomi. It's also a very powerful statement about Ruth. Now, I know coming back to you, you know, everyone's suffering right now with the effects of this plague. But have you risen to the occasion? Sometimes you almost have to force yourself to bring hope to someone else. Um, let me give you an example. When we first started this uh, pandemic, uh, even though we have neighbors all around us, we didn't see anybody. And then one day, uh, we decided we'd go out for a walk wasn't a problem, we didn't see anybody on our walk, but as we returned to the house, 
we saw our neighbor next door come out, the gentleman. His name's Jay. And he came up to us and he said, he didn't get close. And he said, um, I wanted to tell you that my wife passed away. Now, how sad is that? We were all isolated in our homes and not freely able to talk and correspond with people. And here she had passed away. But we stood there and we talked to him and we encouraged him. And um, he walked away, uh, I think, feeling very um, uh, cared about, uh, feeling relieved uh, that he wasn't like in this great big pond all by himself. And um, he's really not um, a Christian. Uh, I think he believes in God, but I don't think it's, it's uh, I don't think the situation is where he would attend a church. I, I don't think that they ever did that through the years. I had talked with her off and on when she was alive. Um, very independent kind of people, uh, very professional, um, had good morals, but just didn't see the need to have God. Kind of sad. But when we talked to him, we noticed that he started talking about um, eternity. And he started talking about where she was. And I pray she's in heaven. But we knew that she was gone. So we were kind of concerned about his welfare. And so we were talking to him and we were trying to reassure him. And these are the kinds of things that we need to do for the people around us. Now, we've lived in that house 30 plus years. They lived there longer before we did and still do. But I don't know a lot about him or his wife. But I feel like we've made the first step because I sense that he's very open and he's receptive. And there has been opportunity since then to actually talk with him. And so I think that as Christians, we need to look for these opportunities and we need to encourage people. And, um, you know, sometimes it's harder to talk to people that you think you know. Um, he knows us, he knows what we're like and that we attend church all the time, you know, that we're very involved. And I think that it was an impedance in the early days. I think they were a little afraid of us and trepidatious, but I think now he's more open than he ever was. And so I just pray that God allows us that opportunity to witness in, with more depth. I felt like it was a, a starting point, it was a beginning. And I think that we all need to very, be very conscious of this with the people around us. Uh, sometimes we feel like uh, when we're gonna witness or talk to someone about God, that it has to be someone that's far away, you know. I'm going to have to drive there, talk to them, or they're in another state. When, you know, I've got this gentleman right next door. So we need to seize the opportunity. Now, one of the things that Scott helped me with was I sent him a map. And I believe that it is projected up there, yes, on the screen. So those of you that are live streaming, um, the map is the last page on your handout. And this map that I found on Word Search um, is uh, a map of the land of Israel during the days of the, of the judges. And if you look in the center of the map, you can see the Dead Sea. And uh, to the right of the Dead Sea, or towards the east, you'll see the kingdom of Moab. And today, it's actually uh, the state of Jordan. You can see as well that it's very mountainous. And um, it does lie on a plateau. And uh, it rises about 4,300 feet. Now, the kingdom of Moab was divided into three distinct districts. So if you look where the word uh, Moab is on your map, right above that, or north, 
you're going to see uh, the Arnon River. And this is the first section of the kingdom of Moab, and they referred to this as the field of Moab. Then the second section is north of the Arnon River. So you're going north on your map up towards the hills of Ramoth Gilead. And Ramoth Gilead is near the Yarmuk River. And that territory or that district was rolling country, rolling hills. And then the last district for the kingdom of Moab is below sea level. It's tropical and it actually feeds into the Jordan Valley, which is between uh, the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. And you'll see the Jordan River there in the center connecting the two. So you can see that the kingdom of Moab was very vast, but it also had quite a diverse terrain. And if you'll look on the left side of the map, which would be going towards the west, you'll see Jerusalem. And just below Jerusalem is Bethlehem. And the reason I wanted to show you this is because uh, we don't know where Naomi and her family lived in Moab. But we know that Naomi and Ruth traveled from Moab and they went to Bethlehem. Now I'm going to expand on this thought. I want you to think about this. Uh, I looked at a couple of sources and uh, they were telling me that they thought Probably, it was a 50-mile trip for the women. Now, this would have been through very steep and rugged terrain, and uh, it probably took them anywhere from 7 to 10 days to journey from Moab to Bethlehem. So we're thinking of a young woman, which was Ruth, probably in her 20s, and then Naomi, we're guessing, probably in her 50s, walking through this rough terrain. And if they, if they walked, uh, let's just say if they walked for 10 days, then they would have walked five miles a day. But remember, they're climbing up, they're climbing down. It's not a flat surface. And think about this, there isn't any Holiday Inn along the way for them to spend the night at, and there's certainly not a Denny's or a Starbucks to get something to eat or drink. So this is quite an amazing feat, especially for Naomi to do. So let's go to section four, the land of Judah. Ruth, chapter 1, verses 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley season. Now, if Naomi and Ruth came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest, which was the first of many harvests, that they had at that time period, and it was followed by the wheat harvest. So these ladies had an opportunity to provide for themselves before winter. So really, this was good planning on their part uh, that they come at such an opportune time. And of course, Naomi has already been here one time already. This is her second trip. Now think about Naomi. She's journeying with Ruth to Bethlehem. They are empty-handed because she probably had to sell all her goods. And the only items that her and uh, Ruth took with them was simply the clothes on their back. 
So their economic status was very poor. I just find this amazing that they even uh, considered this. Wow. Now let's reflect back on ourselves. You know, we are already sons of the Most High, and we're living in our land of Judah. We are in the place that God has positioned us according to his perfect timing and his purposes. And some of us have been here a long time. And you know what? Others are still coming. You know, we're not here by accident. Our Father has ordered our steps, and he has numbered our days. He wants us to be busy and about his business every day. Right now, our journey has stopped, and we are at rest. This gives us an opportunity to really invest in ourselves and dig deep into his heart. Because, you know, if we do not sow ourselves, we will not enter into the next thing that God is doing. So that's very important during this time period to be sowing. Now let's go to five. And this is Ruth's claims upon Boaz. Ruth, chapter 2, verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Um, Boaz, a mighty man of wealth, reads mighty in the law. He carries might in his name, Boaz, which means in him is strength. He was of the family of Elimelech, a family which now is reduced and brought very low. Now, I'm going to apologize up front here for this next section. It's very long, but I think that we need to read these scriptures for continuity of thought. So you can see my train of thought as I'm going through this. It's Ruth chapter 2, uh, verses 4 through 12. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap. And go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men? that they shall not touch thee, and when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels, and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, and bowed herself to the ground, and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take advantage of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed, declared or announced to me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work and a full Reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel. Under whose wings, that means overspreading, thou art come to trust. So 
Boaz commends Ruth for her devotion, her helpful devotion to Naomi. You know, Ruth did not realize how the Lord would recompense her work. She had no idea. You know, the hand of God reaches to the far extremities to help his loved ones. That's kind of how I interpret that overspreading. You know, we can clearly here in the scripture see that Boaz's generosity, his words of comfort, and assurance to Ruth. Okay, this next scripture, Ruth uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred. Now, the phrase, seek rest for thee, means a settlement in the married state. It signifies being at rest in the house with a husband and in his heart. Naomi knew Boaz to be a very grave and sober man. She, she knew that. He was also a virtuous and a religious man, one that feared God. She also knew that Ruth was a modest woman, pure in morals and a housekeeper at home. All right, our next uh, scripture, Ruth chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether rich, uh, poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit, there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. So Ruth came to Boaz at the direction of her mother-in-law, Naomi, according to the law. And she was trying to put herself, Ruth, under the protection as appointed by the divine law, you know, for Boaz to be her protector. Now, Boaz had the right to redeem the family and the estate because it was in, uh, it was perishing. It was slowly being lost. So that's why Ruth said, spread thy skirt over me and my cause in order to redeem the estate of her father-in-law and her husband. And what does Boaz do? He turns and he blesses her. And he blesses her as a father. He encourages her as a friend. And he makes promises to her as a kinsman, as a relative. Now, we also need to recognize that Boaz fell in love with Ruth from the moment he saw her in the fields. So this is also a beautiful love story placed by God between the books of Judges when the judges ruled and were men of war, and the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel, which contained the last two judges, which were Eli and Samuel, who really were priests. Our Father is asking us here in this church, in this network, 
how much do you love me? Will you forsake all for me? Is your life going well right now? Are there any hardships around? You know, I think there are many demands on us right now. So what do we do? You know, as Pastor has reminded us so many times, we must hold steady and bring to remembrance those things that God has said to us corporately and also individually in our prayer closets. God did not say that it would be easy. This is truly a test of our strength of character and of our moral fortitude. All right, I am ready for section six. And this is redeeming the estate, the estate of Elimelech. Again, I have a long passage. Ruth chapter four, verses one through eight. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi that is come again out of the country of Moab selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me, that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to conform all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. We don't do that today. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, you know, this passage was long, and I apologize, but I want to just very briefly summarize this portion. Um, Boaz, the next day, calls court immediately. He was probably a, one of the elders of the city, and he gathers ten men who were also elders to meet him in the town hall over the gate, you know, where they did their public business. And so he proposes to the other kinsman, the other relative, the redemption of Naomi's land, which had probably been mortgaged for money to buy bread when the famine was in the land. Makes sense. The kinsman, you know, he seemed agreeable and, you know, to redeem the land until he was told that he might have to, not might, but he probably must marry this widow, which was Ruth, and he refuses. So what happens? The right of redemption is fairly given to Boaz. The kinsman pulls off his shoe, and that secures the contract. So now Boaz can perform his promise to Ruth that he would do the kinsman's part. He marries Ruth to preserve the memory of the dead and the name of her deceased husband, which was Malon. back to us. You know, our Father 
is asking us to redeem the land and the people from the bondage of this, as Pastor says, noisy pestilence that pervades our nation. Are we willing to stop and pray immediately or simply when it's convenient? We need to show our Father that we are serious and we mean what we say. We need to honor God with our words and do it with much integrity. All right, our last section, and this is Ruth, the wife of Boaz. And this is Ruth chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which two did build the house of Israel. You know, Ruth was certainly rewarded many times over for her love and for her tender care to Naomi. You know, even Boaz expressed this to her when they talked in the field. Remember, he said, Lord, recompense thy work and a full reward be given under whose wings thou art come to trust. So he commends her for her helpful devotion to Naomi. Now looking ahead in the story, we know that Ruth had a son, and his name was Obed, meaning a servant, probably in remembrance of the poverty of his mom. Obed bore Jesse, and Jesse bore David. Between Salmon, Rahab's husband, and David, there were only three people, Boaz, Obed, and Jesse, who filled a period of nearly 400 years. You know, I think that they were abundantly blessed by God. They had long years on the earth. Now Ruth is brought in among the ancestors of David and Christ. She was from Moab through Shem's line which was Abraham. Then through Lot, we had the Moabite lineage, which was Ruth's people, her descendants. Recall that this powerful event that we have talked about today was actually set in the little town of Bethlehem. And we know that that signifies the house of bread. And it is also the birthplace of Obed, Jesse, David, and Jesus. We know that with God, there are no mistakes. His plan for Ruth truly came to pass, and it was perfect according to the divine will of God. When I think about our church and that it has numerous times been declared in this house that we are, the Father's Church, a house of bread, we are definitely a small church, but we must recognize that in the spirit realm, we are a mighty army, a mighty army for God. And we have been strategically placed and expertly trained for this unique assignment 
by our Father who forever abides at the throne. You know, for us, being the house of bread, this is only the first miracle of hundreds to follow. Are you, as an intercessor and a worshiper of this house, are you ready to accept the commissioning and to move forward for the Lord? If so, prove it to him. The harvest is truly ripe, and we need many laborers. And even though this time period for us around the world, and especially in our country, uh, has brought us to a standstill, God, in his creative ways and thoughts, is going to show us how to reach out and how to effectively pray for what he has purposed for our future while we're still living on the earth. And so this concludes my teaching on the book of Ruth, Whither Thou Goest I Will Go. I pray that it will bless you and um, invigorate you and give you hope for the future. And I just bless each one of you. And I close now. Goodbye. <laughs>